0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Members Circle. This is part of the monthly Sharpener community. One of the most popular questions I get is, how can I support the podcast? And I appreciate that sentiment. And the follow-up is usually, do you have a Patreon channel? The answer to that question is, no, I don't have a Patreon channel. And I don't intend on starting one because I started Members Circle. So you may be wondering, well, what's included inside Members Circle? First off, you get the long play video version of the podcast. Often there are extra conversations that happen inside an interview, and they don't make their way to the audio version. That's all included inside the video version of the podcast. You also get access to royalty-free reference photos. These are photos that I've taken myself of landscapes, still lifes, portraits, and there's over 100 reference photos available to you right now, and that list keeps on growing. So what else is available inside Member Circle? We have a members-only office hours. This is a live event where we bring on a teacher showing their particular technique on a surface or regarding a subject matter and demonstrating something for you free of charge to members. I think one of the best things about that is it's all recorded and available for you if you can't attend live. There are so many other perks and benefits available to you. Once you become a member, go over to the show notes to get the link, sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. And we thank our members for their support of the Color Pencil Podcast. The Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast inspiration, and innovation.
1: We're talking everything you want to know about this medium that we love so much.
0: And we're your hosts, John Middick and Barb Sotiropolis. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com. This is the Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Barb Sotiropolis. Barb, how are you?
1: I am great. How are you?
0: Awesome. Okay, today we're going to be talking about line drawing best practices. Don't go to sleep on us here because what we're going to be talking to you about is so important. This is how to prep for success from the very start. It makes a difference when you talk about a line drawing that will work for you and one that you just kind of, you know, halfway do. So we'll talk about some of those things. And a great line drawing is the foundation of your artwork. The success yeah. and failure of many artists occurs at this very early stage.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think this is probably a topic that's not discussed enough. But I mean, there's a lot of right uh, tutorials and discussion around rendering and rendering techniques, but all of that kind of falls by the wayside if you're the structure of your drawing, the skeleton of your drawing. Is it in proportion and isn't correct? That's essentially the map that you're using to create the rest of your drawing. So if you don't have that as accurate as possible or exactly the way you need it, and especially with colored pencil, because it's not very forgiving, you know, right. you're, you're kind of starting off on the wrong foot if you don't have the, that already solidified and in place.
0: Exactly. Now, guys, stay tuned for the Art Fact Minute coming up a little later in the show. And we're going to be talking about the origin. Of cartoon. So be sure and stay tuned so you don't miss that. So yeah, we're going to be talking today about how to achieve a great line drawing from the very start to set you up for success. So we'll tackle what makes a good photo to use as a drawing.
1: We'll also talk about the different ways to execute your line drawing.
0: Then we're going to discuss different technologies that you can use to help you create a good line drawing.
1: And then some materials for transferring your line drawing as well. There's some best practices. I know John and I probably have some different techniques, so we'll be talking about those as well.
0: We've got an upcoming workshop to help you to get the very best line drawing for your artwork. And actually, in that workshop, Barb and I are going to discuss and show you specifically some tips and tricks that we use to get a very accurate line drawing. And Why certain areas of the line drawing matter so much in the areas that don't matter quite as much. We'll just put a link in the show notes, I think, for that sign up process. But if if our last workshop was any indication, then this will fill up very, very quickly, guys. So don't hesitate to get signed up right away. So if you're in member circle, you have first dibs because this podcast episode will come out over there first.
1: So let's talk about this from the very foundation. Why is a good line drawing important? And as I mentioned earlier, it's the skeleton of your drawing. If your proportions or your perspective is off, there's definitely no going back, especially with colored pencil. If you're doing a commission piece and it's based on likeness, even something like having the position of the eyebrows being off can be enough to deter from what the likeness of a person. Sometimes people have very subtle facial features. That if you don't nail them exactly right or the positioning of them isn't exactly right, it's it's that that makes the difference of it not looking like them anymore.
0: Barb, when we talk about what makes a good line drawing or what makes a line drawing a successful part of the overall composition or the overall piece, then I think it's important to discuss how much or how little we need to include In the line drawing now, once in a while in my workshops, I do a lot of portrait workshops and I'll have somebody that will come into the workshop and they'll say something about I'm giving a line drawing typically. And I usually have that on a video you can watch before you sign up. Even I guess you could call that like a free lesson. But anyway, it's interesting to me because once in a while someone will say, well, there wasn't enough information for me in the line drawing itself for me to have a good, successful foundation. And so I I push back on that a little bit. I usually try to help whoever that is out a little bit, but I'm going to push back on that right here and talk about the fact that when you're working on your line drawing, this is a time to get something on there very, very accurate. All those skills that you have built up related to freehand drawing now come into play. When you're actually developing your roadmap or your line drawing, I like to call it a roadmap, then this is where you're actually able to create something that's successful. I'm finding out that I just don't put in as much in my line drawing as probably some artists do, but I'm putting in the most important elements. And we'll be talking more about that in the workshop for sure.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important just to to kind of get across initially that line drawings are actually a really personal thing. Yeah. It really depends on what your comfort level is, how much information you need to do the drawing successfully. I've seen people put every little itty bitty nuance from a photo into their line drawing, whereas I'm I'm a lot like you, where I'll give if I'm using a, you know a line drawing to start off the piece, um, I'll use a very very loose, very basic mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> line drawing. And then I'm using the skills that I do have to sort of freehand in the rest. Right. And that's the way I personally like to work. Um, it, it really just depends on me with portraiture, especially if I'm doing a commission, but I'm using a line drawing for that. And I'm trying to find uh, to, to make sure I have the right hallmarks in, in mm-hmm. terms of positioning where the eyes are and distances and that sort of thing. Again, to determine likeness. Um, And make sure that I'm, I'm capturing that. But you have to be able to, I think, assess where your skill level is at in terms of how much information you need in that line drawing. Right. And and how much you don't need, essentially.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And early on, I mean, if you're brand new and you're still trying to learn how to draw in particular, you know, Varb, you alluded to this uh, at the top of the show where, you know, there's a lot of information or a lot of workshops that are all about rendering. Nothing wrong with that, rendering in colored pencil. But when we're talking about uh, just drawing, drawing skills in particular, then, you know, that's where this becomes very, very important. And so early on, if you're not wanting to be troubled with trying to learn how to draw, but instead you just want to render or you want to do the shading? You're more interested in creating gradations and learning, you know, where you need hard edges and and soft edges and contours and all that. Then, yeah, you might be someone who is more interested in just shading. Uh, nothing wrong with that. That's just not my thing. I, I typically want to explore both sides of that in my creativity, and I want to use some freehanding skills as well as use my rendering skills so early on then i would suggest that when you come to that part of the drawing process that you probably add more lines than what you're going to need down the road a few years later on
1: i think that's a really important uh point to make and what i would say too is you know even for for my purposes i i will use a combination of line drawings for you know a foundational line drawing for certain pieces that i do but i also do a lot of sketchbook work mm-hmm. where i'm free handing things right. and what i would really recommend to someone is that if you're constantly relying on a line drawing to start your drawing you're you're gonna handcuff yourself sometimes to the point where like for me i mean i've been an artist for a very long time so i can kind of flip back and forth and it's fine but what I would say is if you start out really hard on line drawings, like really just always needing mm-hmm. them and never give yourself the opportunity to work on your drawing skills and freehanding things, even just in a sketchbook, mm-hmm. like I said, just somewhere small, somewhere inconsequential, you're going to be so reliant on that that you're then afraid to never not use one. And that's a terrible sentence, never not use one. <laughs> but anyway, hey, it made
0: sense to me. You know I I'm know s- what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like you, you get too reliant right. on it to the to the point that you think that you almost can't draw without it, right? And, and and you know something we're going to talk about as well is that it's actually really important to have some free handing skills mm-hmm. because what'll happen sometimes with a a trace line drawing or whatever is it can sometimes end up looking really mm-hmm. stiff. Uh, one of the one of the things that uh, we used to when I was at college, one of the things that was always always talked about was that. Um, You know, people would do these preliminary drawings that would look great. And then they do it in a sketchbook or just like, you know, a a piece of paper they were using essentially to work something out. So, you know, there'd be a lot of erasing lines and that sort of thing. And then they would go to transfer that drawing to their final Mm. paper to do the final piece of artwork. And there was something that would always get lost between that original, you know, hand drawn sort of looser feeling drawing and then all of a sudden it just got too tight or too stiff when it a sudden needed to be transferred over so that's something you need to be aware of too when you're doing Mm -hmm. line drawings is that you know you you have to have that ability to sort of freehand a little bit because otherwise you're working can can some you can have the best outline Mm -hmm. in the world but if if you can't then take it and and still kind of you know uh that right, improvise, right. let's call yep. it, when you get to the actual final piece of paper, there's something about it that can end up looking really yeah. rigid. And yep. even even if the, if the viewer can't really pinpoint it right away, it, it comes off. There's something mm-hmm. about it that feels off when right. you look at it.
0: It's a guide. Uh, it's not the piece. It's not the artwork. Yeah. And too often, yeah. that's the problem I see, especially with beginners, is they create an artwork uh, or a a piece, nearly like a derivative piece of just their line drawing. And rather than using it as a guide or as, uh, you know, some, uh, a benchmark, if you will, a roadmap, uh, using it as a parameter of sorts to begin the piece, but it's not the finished product. And and there's a huge difference in that. It's probably more difficult, maybe, Barb, for us to verbalize that than what we're going to be doing in the workshop and actually showing you some of this stuff. But let's move on then and talk about before you draw. Okay, what makes a good uh, photo to use as a drawing? Not, you know, I would argue that not every photo needs to be rendered as a drawing you know if you if you created a I great yeah if you created a great photo then um maybe you're a photographer uh as well you know and and show that photography and maybe you don't need to draw that but there there's something that, there's some movement uh there is some interest in the overall composition of something where you can see beyond what is right in front of you as a static image that photography may have reproduced Yeah, that you can say, okay, no, I can take that and I can create something with my own hand based on this.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, a great example of that and, and sort of using myself as the example here, but uh, I just did a, a, a portrait recently oh, of my dog and got a lot of really great Feed- it's beautiful Thank it really is i lot a really good feedback about it when what was funny about it is when i took the picture i remember thinking oh the light is beautiful right now everything looks great about this and i loved it as a photo but when i kept coming back to that photo it was you know to your point like i was having this this kind of vision in my head of how i could translate it also into a drawing mm-hmm. and what elements i could choose to leave in and leave out. And and I think that's one of the things that's important about when you're picking uh, a drawing, you know, or sorry, a photo to draw from Mm -hmm. is are there opportunities for you to make it look like a piece of artwork? Like if you're if your goal is just high realism, you know, copying a photo. Exactly. That's one thing. But if you're trying to pick a photo, that's something you can make an artistic interpretation on. Right. Those are those are things you want to consider when you're looking at a photo. Like in my case, Um, you know, maybe we'll show the original photo um in the video version too, so people can see kind of where I was making those decisions. But, you know, one of one of the things that I was looking at was like, okay, you can see houses and everything else, and there's a field in the distance and that sort of thing, but I didn't want to render all of that in. And to me, that wasn't important. It was just this, you know, the singular Mm -hmm. subject matter. And even the, you know, the snow that's underneath his feet. Like, I didn't want to do those very high detail. I wanted to put in detail closer to him and where his feet were coming into the snow, but then kind of get looser with it as it like went out, and those yeah. are all choices you can make when you when you have um, a good subject matter to be able to do that for him. So it's like, okay, so my goal is to try and render light uh-huh. uh, and to get the 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 feeling of the subject as opposed to doing every single detail.
0: Yeah, not doing detail for detail's sake, but making those yeah. independent choices, and that comes with experience and time and confidence. But yeah. uh, oh, I think that's a great example, Barb. And I appreciate you uh, showing this as well. Barb did this like in one afternoon. I mean, this was this wasn't over months and months, and it's not teeny tiny either. It's like eleven inches or something in one yeah. direction. So this is outstanding. Those are some of the things we're going to be talking about in the workshop. What are you looking for? This contrast, the the color. You look beyond some of these elements that may be present in the photo. But you're not going to render these things because they don't matter for the overall look and composition of the artwork that you're wanting to create. So that's, you know, that's where the, the, the push comes. That's where the real rub is, is what details matter? Which ones can you leave out? And I know that, you know, that is a skill that I think that can be acquired, but it does come with maturation as well. It's something that you'll develop over time and cultivate.
1: Yeah, and I've done a couple um, tutorials also for for magazines where I've talked about, uh, you know, I've had the original photo reference and I've talked about what I'm doing, the line drawing, what parts I'm leaving out, why I'm leaving them out. Mm-hmm. I did one for Colored Pencil Magazine last year, I believe it was. Yeah, it was last year. And it was uh, a picture of uh, a lighthouse yeah. I've taken a picture of. And in so one part of the original photo, I think there's like either a power light mm-hmm. or something. And I just chose to leave that out. And so it didn't include it in my line drawing. And it, to me, you know, it's making those artistic choices. Like you might find a photo that's almost perfect, but there's something about it that maybe you're like, "Ah, I don't really want to like leave that in, but everything else I like about it. Or, you know, those sort of things like having, having some time to analyze, okay, well, what happens when I make this an actual drawing? What, what choices do I need to make? Do I need to lighten certain areas to get more detail? Uh, and be able to see what's happening in sort of like a shadowed area. Mm -hmm. Do I need to um, you know, so sometimes super complex photos really don't make good drawings. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about the lighting. You you really have to think and and again I I would agree with you that it sometimes comes with experience and a maturity level and where you are with your artwork to be able to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And and also I would say that the way that you figure that out is by trying to draw a lot of different things. Like Looking at different reference photos, going through the process of doing the drawing all the way to completion and then stepping back and being able to analyze, okay, what did I like about this? What worked about it? What didn't? And trying to correlate that back to the actual photo reference you used. Was it that the lighting wasn't dramatic enough? Did you need more contrast in certain areas? Sometimes you'll find a photo and there'll be a lot of things you like about it. Maybe the composition is great, but the lighting isn't right. So. You know, it would then translate to a piece of artwork. If you don't actually do the work to, you know, specifically punch up certain areas or whatever, or do some sort of digital manipulation right. to the photo ahead of time so that you have that as a reference, you know, those, those things, it ends up just kind of falling flat. Right. I mean, uh, I think there's a lot more that goes into what makes a good piece of art other than just being able to recreate it right, in a right. medium, right? like yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about that, you know, we did this kind of side episode just for the, the member circle folks right. where we talked about some of the pieces that, had, um, won awards in the the last CPSA competition right, right. and we kind of broke down and went through why we thought, you know, those pieces won and what was good about them. And, yeah. and you know, not, there's plenty of great artwork, but you know, when you talk about something that is like a photo versus a piece of art, they're. You know, and it gets complicated because part of it is personal mm-hmm. preference. But, you know, there are certain elements that I think really translate well for art and don't just for, you know, creating. And, yeah. and, it's, and you know, I use the example of uh, Cecile Barrett mm-hmm. a lot. Like, you know, you could take a picture of, uh, you know, some grapes in a glass on a table and it might not be very captivating or interesting. But, for example, when she does it, yeah, <laughs> she does it with such dramatic lighting and, and in a way. Well, they're that not grapes anymore. Really. And it's
0: not glass anymore. No.
1: It, you know. And it makes you really want to look at all the like different yeah. nuances and that sort of thing. And, and and so, you know, something she's using as photography as a reference is now going to be something you want to stare at a lot right. longer because of those yeah. choices that she's made versus, you know, someone who just took a picture of a bowl of right. grapes. You'll probably look at it for a couple minutes and you're like, yeah. cool. Like, you know, I, I use her as an example a lot because I think she's someone who has taken the idea of still life and elevated it into something yeah. else. Like I can sit there and look at her pieces for a long right. period of time. And normally it, if it was, if, if it was taken and just, you know, everyday normal lighting grapes on a table, it probably would hold your attention right. very long. But again, it's those choices that she's made artistically to kind of, You know, make it more captivating and that's part of your job, I Mm -hmm. think, as an artist in in terms of, you know, what you're what you're trying to say. I mean, you can you can say something deeper without having to conceptually necessarily be saying something, Mm -hmm. deeper. you know, like visually, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, that's right. Like, I feel like you can, you know, she, you know, we talked about this a little bit too. She titles her pieces with something that's a little bit more mm-hmm. interesting too, right? And I think uh, Big Insider does mm-hmm. that a lot too. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, you know, it may be a vase of flowers, but the title is intriguing mm-hmm. somehow. Like all those things work together. And so, you know, if you're talking about, if you're just practicing mm-hmm. your skills and you're trying to get better rendering, you're trying to be a better artist. There's there's value in just doing the exercise of trying to do representational art. But if you're trying to move more to having more of an artistic voice, that's a whole other consideration. Yeah,
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, and and uh, Barb and I actually dove really deep into this topic of photo references and prepping for the reference from talking with your client if you're taking uh, photos of a person to actually then taking all these photos and selecting a photo from that session. We show that in a video in a recent workshop that we did. And so I think this would be the perfect pairing uh, together of workshops. If you did not participate in that workshop, it's still available. So Barbara and I uh, walked through this on how to create references that you can actually draw from. That was a workshop we did recently. That'd be a great one to, Pair with this particular workshop coming up on the line drawing. So just keep that in mind, guys. So let's move on to prepping the photo. So adjusting the lighting and the contrast to see all the details. You know, I like to do like a posterized version of uh, the photo. I especially like to have that available for those that, you know, early on, if you're brand new to portraiture in particular, I'm talking about. And it's difficult to see sometimes some of the gradations that you might notice, like in the forehead or cheek and areas like that, uh, then that's a great thing to do. Uh, and there's a few other things, and we'll talk more about those as well and show that in the uh, the workshop coming up. But prepping that photo is so important uh, to be able to see the details that matter and to know which ones you're going to include then. Uh, if you've got a, a photo reference, let's say this is way too dark and you can't see everything that you want to include in your finished piece, then you know you might need to lighten that up so that you can see some of those details. I mean, that's just one consideration.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely a good reason to have digitized photos that you're working from just because it allows you to. To do those adjustments, I would yep. say, too, you know, if you're working from a photo that you took yourself, say, you know, you're on vacation somewhere and you're in a park and you have a nice scene that you took a picture of. What I would also recommend on on top of that is doing some making some notes for yourself while you're there in person, because sometimes what happens, depending on your photography skills or whatever, is like a picture of something. And you know, it might be like, okay, I've taken a picture of this; it looks good, and <laughs> now I'm going to move on. But you might want to yeah, take no, no, truly, you right. might want to take some because you forgot what notes that, about was, that subject you know, or later, yeah, or or even just um, you know, just information about what you yeah. saw in person, or what it made you think of, or uh, or con- you know, comments about mm-hmm. shapes or that sort of thing. When when you're sitting there in front of the subject matter, like no, that's truly, really important too. And I, I mean you're not always going to get that opportunity, but I think when you do have that opportunity, it's important to, you know, uh, exercise yep. that as well because there's a lot of value drawing from life as well. And you'll hear a lot of artists talk about that or how you should only ever draw from life. And that's not always possible for everyone, but I think, you know, what your eye sees in three dimensions versus yep. what ends up translating two dimensionally sometimes can be um, different. And I mean, for that matter, say you like drawing tigers and, you know, you get a, a photo from wildlife reference photos that you really love, but maybe there's a zoo in your city or nearby and you can actually go and see tigers in person there. You know, it it, it might be invaluable just to even spend an afternoon, you know, sketching them, yeah. even if it doesn't look good, or just making notes on like, you know, things that you're noticing about their their right. facial features or that sort of thing, because all of those things will, will later yeah, inform absolutely. your drawing. And I think, you know, artists are observers and we're, you know, when, before cameras used to exist, artists were the ones kind of capturing information and making it visual. So, you know, don't mm-hmm. lose that part of it where you're relying so much on a two-dimensional line drawing while it's important. It's that information is going to help you create a better line drawing in the end because you're using additional information to to make that visual you almost have to see
0: uh past uh the line drawing and what you're doing really is you're seeing this this sculpted uh um, this sculpted image uh, in your subject that is emerging from the page so you're having to see beyond everything like you're when you're looking at the head uh of of a person you're looking beyond the front of the face, if you're doing a frontal pose, you're seeing behind the head. You're thinking about everything that is even outside of the scope of the composition. Because when you do that, then that's going to allow you to create something with a molded effect. And that's that's what really we're after, right? We want to be able to depict something that feels like it's more three-dimensional than if we treated it like this flat image that is just staring at us in this line drawing that becomes so stale if we uh, allow it to be yeah it's time for the art fact minute
1: john do you know what a cartoon is uh,
0: a cartoon yeah i think i do barb um everyone does right
1: <laughs> no no i mean a fine art cartoon
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's a little different, right? So, why don't you explain it to us, Barb?
1: Sure. The word cartoon comes from the Italian word cartone and is used to describe a stronger, heavier paper. A drawing was created on this paper and used as a template or modello for a painting, stained glass, or tapestry. It was widely used by artists in the Renaissance.
0: Interesting. So, it was kind of like the original version of what we would do today for a line drawing.
1: Exactly! The paper would have pinprick holes along the lines of the design. It was then placed against the surface the artwork would go on, often plaster walls. And then black soot was padded over the holes to create a soft outline for the artist to use as a guideline for their painting or artwork.
0: Very cool! So, was this technique used often?
1: Yes! In fact, notable painters like Raphael and da Vinci used it, as well as Michelangelo for the famous Sistine Chapel ceiling. Artists would often do figure studies in their studios and later use those drawings to create the cartoons for plaster paintings on walls and other locations.
0: Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that today. If you have any suggestions for the Art Fact Minute, Barb and I would love to hear those. You can email us at podcast at sharpenedartist.com. Do you find yourself having to constantly redraw as you render? One of the biggest requests I get from art mentoring students is to review their line drawing. It's actually the first point of failure or success in the outcome of your artwork.
1: In our latest live training, John and I are going to show you our secrets for getting the best line drawing. We'll cover everything from how to pick a good photo to draw from, what to include and exclude from your line drawing, and demonstrate some of our favorite techniques.
0: I'm so thrilled we'll be able to teach this integral part of the drawing process. Nailing this will completely transform your work.
1: Many people think that it's as simple as tracing and transferring the drawing onto the page, but a poorly executed line drawing without refinement is a recipe for disaster. We will teach you everything you need to know before and after your pencil hits the paper.
0: We'll be showing and demonstrating our personal processes, From start to finish, using Procreate and on Adobe Fresco, so nothing will be left out.
1: Be one of the first 10 to sign up and you'll receive an exclusive bonus video. Head over to the show notes on SharperNerders.com slash podcast slash 342 to sign up today. Awesome. Like, One of the things you really want to be cognizant of as well is sometimes Mm -hmm. you want to crop or um, resize a photo. And that's part of the the process of prepping it before you do your line drawing. You know, you may decide that only a section of it is interesting right. or, you know, you need to make the image bigger because you're going to draw it larger than, you know, maybe the, the subject actually yeah. is in, in real life. Maybe you want to draw a rose, but you want to make it 12 by 12 and, you know, a typical rose yeah. is, is quite a bit smaller than that. So. You know, like and stuff like that, like really, really looking into um, doing those kind of initial things, like even like you were saying, John, just even, you know, maybe there's a dark version, maybe you have a light version, maybe you have a version that's slightly overexposed so you can see certain details. All of those things are important before you even start your line drawing.
0: Yeah, I would say um, I'm really glad you brought that part up about cropping it and uh, thinking about the image size. It makes a huge difference. Uh, because if you're looking at, and I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me, where I'm looking at the, the particular reference and maybe I print it out and think, oh, I'm just going to do this one, maybe eight by 10 or something. But then there's all this detail in the eyes or in, um, the nose or mouth, but it's typically in the eyes that I'm going to lose if I do something that small. Yeah. And then I make a decision the last second, like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I, I've got to make this larger than that so that I can include some of those details that, frankly, make it a great composition. And without them, it's just kind of ho-hum. So, yeah. you know, guys, r- really think about that, that the size really makes sense a huge difference uh, on the success of the piece
1: well and thinking about too what that you know ideally artwork's meant to be seen in person right so like thinking about what yeah. presence does that have at a certain size because making something yeah. very small can be as impactful as making it quite large right so oh no doubt. You know, yeah you know th- those that that should be part of your thought process too in terms of when you're choosing a size to make a piece like Obviously, it's important to choose a size that is going to allow you to put the the amount of detail you want. But it's like, what presence... If that's what it's
0: about. Yeah. If that's what it's about. If it's the expression, then it could be smaller, right? Something like that. exactly. But but
1: thinking about what presence you wanted to have when it's Mm -hmm. on a wall in a room. Like, I'm I'm doing a a portrait for my friend as a wedding gift for her two dogs. And, you know, she, she takes a lot of beautiful photos. They do a lot of mountain hikes with them. And so... She's got all these beautiful photos of her dogs like in the mountains with these beautiful yeah. like this beautiful scene behind it. And you know, it, I typically work eleven by fourteen. That's usually like how small I or small or big, depending on your preference that that yeah, I work. Yeah. But you know, the more I thought about this piece for her, I was just like, I think I need to make it bigger. I mean, I I need her to be okay with it because it's gotta live on a wall somewhere in her house. But but you know, I just said like I would really love to make this a bigger piece because I feel like it needs to have more of like an epic feel and like that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it's like, it would be a nice drawing small, but even just taking it to 16 by 20 is just going to make it that much more impactful. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's a few things you have to consider with that. Uh, if you blow up the drawing or the the photo that big, will you still get enough detail without pixelation? Right. Secondly, if you need to print out the line drawing or whatever, or depending on how you just did you know decide to transfer it, do you have a printer that prints that big? Those sort yeah. of things. Like in terms of technology and that sort of thing, that's a right. factor you need to bring into it too. Like, do you have a suitable printer or access to a printer, whether it's staples or whatever, that can print something large enough for you so you can transfer it to your final. Piece of yeah, paper. and there's and
0: there's some other ways of getting around that also, yeah. but but yeah, you do have to to think about that, and you know how how much work is going to be involved if you go larger than um you know a, a large format printer will handle. Yes, yeah. But if you don't have that at home, yeah, well, then what are you going to do? Well, yeah, there's ways of doing it at, it at the home. The steps also. of
1: your vision with it, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, is, is is this what is this going to look like at whatever size you decide to do it? Right. In? Will it be more impactful? Will you be able to get more detail? By doing it at a different size, like all of those right. things are really important to consider when you're thinking about, you know, the when you're in the planning stages and prepping the photo and making sure that it's going to be, you know, though those are all considerations when you're talking about um, your artwork and, and and the end results.
0: Yeah, you're you're never well, I shouldn't say never, but you're typically not ever going to be spending more time than is necessary preparing. Than uh, you are in actually executing and rendering. You hear from time to time somebody just say, Oh, I was just so moved with whatever the scene was. You know, they go and they take the picture uh, so that they can capture some of those details. that go back, create the artwork, you know, maybe in one evening or something like that. That typically is not uh, how this works. And usually our non artist friends think, you know, it's just this magic thing that happens and you're just sitting there one evening and you, recreated someone's likeness because you saw them one day. Yeah. Uh, But normally what happens under the most circumstances, I guess I would say, is that you have all this preparation time that that is happening and it's happening in your head, a lot of it. But then it also happens in this digital uh, way. I mean, you're you're working on your computer, you're working in different programs to be able to get this prepped in the right way to be able to render something that is actually worthy of your time to sit there and uh, for countless hours, you know, rendering on it. So that, you know, it doesn't happen by accident. And some of the best artists you can think of, they spend a lot of time preparing their work ahead of time. So I can't stress that enough. That, That really is key to it. And that's the reason why Barb and I are spending so much time Well, talking about this, but then we're actually going to deliver this workshop for you on how to do this in uh, the best way possible.
1: In case you missed it, in episode 341, we talk all about photo reference and in terms of, you know, sites you can use to find them, taking your own photo reference. And again, it's also covered in that workshop that John mentioned. We talk a little bit more deeper Mm-hmm. Into about that subject matter, but um, definitely something you want to check out in relation to this. I think those two, these two episodes go hand in hand. Those two workshops go hand in hand. They're very much part of the same process or very linked to each other in that process. So that's definitely something you should check out if you're new to drawing or if you're looking for inspiration to kind of, you know, change your, your process or how you're creating artwork.
0: Absolutely. So we'll have a link to that episode in the show notes, guys. Three, four, one. All right. Let's wrap up here and talk about for a moment the different ways to execute your particular line drawing. So there there's a number of ways that you could do this. And I gravitate towards I I do this more. Most of it's digital now. And uh, and then the final act of (laughs) transferring that digital line drawing to uh, my analog paper surface. Uh, is like the, the final thing that I'm doing, but so you could freehand, right, Barb? It's one way of doing yep. it. Um, it just takes longer, but there's a lot of enjoyment out of doing that. Uh, I've taught a workshop on, uh, you know, maybe a couple times on just how to freehand that line drawing for portraits and just to work on that piece of it. You know, I don't feel like a lot of people talk about that or, or probably even do it. They probably don't, just don't even do that. Uh, but there's a lot of enjoyment in doing that. And then there's ways to check your accuracy after you've created, developed that line drawing by freehand skills. Uh, so that is one way.
1: Another method you can use that a lot of artists use this method is a, a grid method. Mm-hmm. So essentially what they'll typically do is print out their um, reference photo either the exact size that they're going to end up rendering it or a similar size they'll grid it out with with you know basic lines horizontal and vertical to give themselves little sections to draw and the idea behind that is that it's easier to draw something accurately when you're just looking at it in a, in you know a, a two square radius or a one square right, radius right. versus an entire image and then Once you draw all of those things together, you can kind of look at it as a whole Mm -hmm. and have sort of an accurate drawing. Uh, This is actually relies a lot on freehand skills Mm -hmm. as well. It's just a more structured method, again, breaking it down into sort of more bite-sized pieces for yourself. Um, I would say this is it's certainly a great method. The only thing I would be wary of is uh, making sure you don't leave your grid lines <laughs> behind when you're trying. I've seen that you before. You do have to, I've, I have as well, yeah. and I think it looks terrible, yeah, but yeah. that's a whole other thing. In graphite, um, oh
0: yeah, it's awful.
1: Yeah, and I mean, in the workshop that we're going to do coming up, we'll, we'll give some tips yep. on if you're going to use this method, so just some best practice tips on if you're using a grid method, kind of what to what to do and what not to do, yeah. to sort of you know, get rid of those lines when you get to your final piece, I just want to say something
0: um, about that really quick. I, I feel like sure. with the grid method. Uh, anytime that I've ever used it, it took me longer to create this grid yeah. and do the grid method than it would have just freehanding it and then checking my my freehanding. You know, it's like yeah, it's an inordinate amount of time, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, but. and
1: I mean, there's certainly apps you can use. I know the yeah. RD app has something where you can you know. You you can have the the photo inside the app yeah. and use your camera to overlay it on your paper right. and see whether you've you've drawn it accurately or not. And there's like there's definitely little tricks to that, but I would agree with you. I think it's more important to just develop those freehand skills. That said, I mean, if the grid method works for you, I think. It's one of those things where there, there are multiple ways to kind of get to the same end result. It's just a point of what you're comfortable with and what you feel is getting you the, the proper um, end result. Well, some people end, love right? it,
0: so and that's good. You know, if, yeah. that, if you find yeah. that that works for you, it's great. Uh, all right, yeah. so let's talk about the trace method. You can use a light box. Uh, there's a lot of great ones now on uh, the market, and they're very inexpensive. So they have a variability in the power where you can have minimal light the one I've got currently uh, you press on the power button and it uh, will go from a very dim light all the way to much brighter uh, so that works yeah, well depending on what you know type of paper you're going to be using you may be able to just put it directly on your paper if you're using something very thick though you can do it on a thinner paper and then transfer that over using soral paper in between. Your are drawing in the, the surface of uh, the traced portion. Uh, so it's a good way to go. It's a good way to start with a pretty accurate drawing, as long as you've got something that will actually transmit uh, that line as you're creating it to your actual piece. Um, so I like that method.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, kind of an alternative version of the trace method is printing out the picture from your inkjet printer or whatever and then um putting carbon like a carbon paper or something Mm -hmm. underneath and then transferring it that that i find you know it that's one method i mean that can be sometimes problematic because you can't really see what's happening on your page (laughs) i like the light box method a little better where the paper is on top and you're drawing on it as opposed to transferring something from top Mm -hmm. down because I feel like you have a little bit more control of seeing what's happening with the leg do. box, but you could certainly yep. do it the other way as well. That's definitely, I mean, I used to do that um, a long time ago. That used to be the method that I use and I, I typically just don't like to use that method as much anymore. What I would say to you is if you are using that method, that's where, again, your freehand skills mm-hmm. are going to come into play because what typically tends to happen is you get a very stiff-looking um, uh, traced mm-hmm. version when you, when, you, when you take your carbon paper in and print out away. So you want to still be able to go in and go back in and refine some of those yeah. areas to make sure that it's looking as accurate as right. possible. for sure. Okay, then finally, and I think this is the, the
0: method that uh, maybe Barb and I both use uh, more than anything else now, it's the method I use yeah. anyway, is some type of tracing inside a, a program. So I use Procreate most of the time to do this. Uh, so I just put it on my iPad and uh, I create another layer and turn down the opacity on the photo image layer and then uh, make sure I've selected the new layer and create a line drawing based on, you know, that particular photo that I can see partially underneath. And then once I'm done with that line drawing, I'll take that um that particular layer save that as an image print that off there voila there's your there's your line drawing so that works really well
1: yeah and i use something very similar i use adobe fresco as opposed to procreate and again this is something we'll we'll dive a little bit more into in the workshop and show you kind of our particular um workflow process in each of those programs Um, but I mean, I tend to do a lot of compositing with my artwork, just with my personal pieces. There's usually a lot more elements involved than what the original photo reference was, so um, I'll use that as a way to, um, you know, make those decisions and and have things on separate layers and turn them on and off and make decisions. And there's a lot of there's a lot of value to actually doing your concepting and your line drawing mm-hmm. with this method because you know, especially if you're doing commissions, I've done commission pieces for people. And I'll show example of this again in the workshop. Um, I did a commission piece where there was a lot of, it was a really detailed, um, uh, coat of arms illustration. It was a custom coat of arms that I had done for somebody. And there were a lot of little elements. And so I made sure that I drew everything Mm -hmm. on a separate layer. And so then when I went to proof it with my client. If he decided he didn't like a certain element, I could just turn it off and then redraw it if I needed to or move it over. And the amount of time that you save by sort of moving to this digital, uh, you know, platform of working with your line drawing, it saves you so much time in your kind of concepting phase and your your proofing phase and that sort of thing. If you prefer to do it by hand, that's great, too. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think, you know, time Mm -hmm. is money when it comes to. Commissioner, especially and uh this is definitely something that that has been beneficial to me and and again you know that's something that we'll we'll go into a lot more deeper that in, definitely in
0: does save a lot of time i'm actually meeting with i'm doing a commission right now meeting with a client this weekend uh over zoom but that's one thing that i'm able to do i've got all the little elements in a separate layer and so i can say okay this is what i was thinking with the hair this is what i was thinking with some facial hair don't ask. I'm doing a lot of <laughs> manipulation on this one. Don't even have the the exact pose, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, so anyway, it's all in separate layers. So that's the real power to that guy. So highly recommend that. We talked a, a lot about, um, you know, how to get this accurate line drawing, why it's important. And we're going to show you exactly how to do all of this and set you up for success and talk about a few other things that we didn't really have time to hit on today. Inside a workshop coming up very, very quickly. And, uh, so that and the link to the past workshop, the link to the other episodes that we did, uh, related to this topic will be in the show notes. So go over there and check that out. Barbara, so you got your visitors <laughs> there with you.
1: Yep, he just he need, He really uh, wants to be part a of the cameo podcast. appearance so. by Camaro. You know.
0: That's nearly an alliteration That's there. That's right.
1: Camaro's cameo, right? <laughs> Hi, everyone. Yeah. He's, leaving. he's biting your hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's biting. He's he's, he's <laughs> out of his kennel. He was kenneled, but he is clearly someone else's <laughs> life about it. Right. So, he gets, to, he gets to make an appearance
0: today. <laughs> All right, guys. If you've not left a rating or review for the show, we would appreciate you doing that. Actually, we have not had a rating or a review for the show in a long time. Maybe no one's listening to the show. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think so. But tell us if you want yeah, more comedic
0: cameos. Uh, so we would appreciate that. And uh, you can do that over on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Bye. Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh then that would be great. You can do it on Audible even. Appreciate you so much. It would not be a show if you guys weren't a part of it, if you weren't listening to the show. So we appreciate that. Any ideas for the show or you want to hear something in particular, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. And we'll talk to you again next time. Until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye.